produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahi. And I'm Yasmin Amr. So, Andrea, I'm going to ask you this age-old question. Do you believe people can change? Yeah, I think people can change. I think, you know, some people might be a little harder than others. But generally, yeah, I, I do think people can change. So I've always been a big believer in change. But I think this week's story is a pretty remarkable example of that. When Race Bouillon was in his early 20s, he won the lottery. That is, the State Department's annual lottery for a visa. The jackpot? A chance to immigrate to the U.S. and eventually become a citizen. In 1999, Race arrived in New York, full of excitement and optimism. I love the country, love the people, love the culture, and uh, I felt I found my second home. Race had been an officer in the Bangladeshi Air Force. His dream was to study and build a career in tech. But it would take some time to settle in and save a little money. So he moved to Dallas to work at a friend's convenience store. Four months after that move, his life and the entire country would change. This, Justin, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. CNN Center Ten right days now, after the September 11th attacks, Race was working an extra shift. As business was slow, I picked up the Dallas Morning newspaper and I was just going through pages. And suddenly through the glass window, I saw a customer um, walk, walked in wearing bandana, sunglasses, and a baseball cap holding a sort of double barrel shotgun. And as soon as he walked in, I opened the cash register and offered him money. Race thought he was getting robbed. But then, the gunman looked at him with a piercing gaze and asked, Where are you from? Since I was panicked, I said, uh, excuse me. And I even couldn't finish my sentence. He pulled the trigger from, from point-blank range. I felt like a million bees were stinging my face. And I felt my time was up. I was bleeding so badly and I felt I was dying. Race was shaking uncontrollably. He couldn't even dial 911. He frantically ran to the barber shop next door and begged for help. That's when he first caught a glimpse of himself in the mirror. And I couldn't believe that was my face. Like something straight out of a horror movie. I had become disfigured and losing blood and strength rapidly. And I was begging God, please, do not take me today. The next thing Race remembers is waking up in a hospital. The bullet had shattered the right side of his face, and he lost vision in one eye. But he survived. The gunman who tried to kill Race killed two other South Asian men within the span of three weeks. The attacker was Mark Stroman, a man with a criminal record and white supremacist ties. He admitted in the documentary Eye for an Eye that he shot the three men as revenge for the 9-11 attacks. Reruns after reruns of the media coverage, watching it, uh, and it's just, just boiling up and boiling up, and just, I just snapped. 
Uh, you know, the whole everybody was saying, let's get them. As Americans, we was wanting justice. Mark Stroman didn't take race's life, but he turned it upside down. Race lost his job, his home, and worst of all, his sense of safety. I could not even go outside without the fear of getting killed or shot again. It was extremely painful to live a life like that. I was sad. Sometimes I was angry. I was frustrated because the shooting incident almost destroyed my life. Race's American dream was in tatters. He spent the next few years trying to rebuild his life. In 2009, he went on a pilgrimage to Mecca with his mother. And it was a life-changing moment for me. I kept asking God, why did you save my life? Why you gave me a second chance? What am I supposed to do with this life? He decided right there to dedicate his life to preventing more senseless violence. Then he thought about his shooter, Mark Stroman, who was on death row for murdering two people in a hate crime. Instead of hating him, I saw him as a human being like me, not just a killer. I saw him as a victim too, and I deeply felt by executing him, we would simply lose a human life without dealing with the root cause. Race deeply believes in the goodness of people, even after everything that's happened to him. But even so, his next move was unexpected. He passionately fought to save Mark Stroman's life and sued then-Governor Rick Perry to stop his execution. Meanwhile, Mark had been going through his own transformation during his time on death row. He'd been reading more and having life-changing conversations. And he wrote to Race, apologizing for the pain he caused. Right now at the state prison in Huntsville, 41-year-old Mark Stroman is strapped to a gurney about to die by lethal injection. He murdered Mark's stay wasn't granted. His execution was scheduled for July 20th, 2011. Hours before he died, Mark called Race. When he came on the phone, I, I told him that, Mark, I never hated you, and I forgave you. He took a few seconds and he said, Race, I never expected this from you. I love you, bro. And as soon as he told me that, it, it just brought tears like a flood in my eyes. And I realized it's the same human being. Ten years ago, he shot me in the face from point blankness for no reason. But now he could see me as his brother. Mark Anthony Stroman died just before 9 p.m. In his final words, he said, quote, One second of hate will cause a lifetime of pain. We tried so hard to keep a human being alive. It took a few seconds to kill this human being. But what we achieved? Nothing. Mark left behind four children. One of them, 32-year-old Robert, or Rob Stroman, remembers the final phone call with his father. At the time, the younger Stroman was in prison, too, eight years for robbery. He told me, he said, son, you have got to stay out of these places. You have got to change. But Rob was on a destructive path. Before he went to prison a second time, on a drug charge, he got into a terrible accident. He remembers sitting in the hospital room in severe pain when an unexpected visitor showed up. I recognize him from the, the pellets lifting his face from my dad shooting him in the face. Last person on earth I expected to, to see. 
It was race. He'd heard what happened and wanted to check in. Why would this man take time out of his day to come up here and see me, something, somebody he owes nothing to, and show an act of compassion like he did? Blew my mind, really. Rob is still serving his prison sentence, but he says he's doing a lot better, taking classes, praying more. And race has been an important friend and supporter. I know if I need if I need him, genuinely need him, he'd be there. Recently, Race quit his full-time job in tech to lead his own nonprofit with a mission to end the same cycles of violence and hate that have plagued people like Mark Stroman and his family. If we decide to get beyond hate, we can do it. Americans are capable of extraordinary compassion and grace when they open their hearts. Race's American dream may have changed. It's no longer about getting that top tech job. It's about changing people's hearts. And he believes in that dream now more than ever. We'll be back with more Kind World after the break. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahi. And I'm Yasmin Amr. In the last story we heard from Race Buyan, who's now leading a nonprofit called World Without Hate, what he's planning to do right now is to host conversations in smaller towns and cities where the hate crime rate is rising. And his goal with that is to expose more people to different ideas and therefore increase empathy. So, Yasmin, I actually got to talk with someone recently who also has that goal in mind. His name is Jamil Zaki. He's a professor at Stanford, and he studies empathy. And he's the author of a book called The War for Kindness. And in the book, Professor Zaki says that for a long time, scientists thought that our level of empathy was static. So we're born with a fixed level of empathy, and that's the level we'll have for our whole lives birth to death. And people used to think that about how smart you are and how neurotic you are, too. But now science is telling us something totally different. Our brains change in response to our experiences, our intelligence and our personality changes, and our empathy changes. The choices that we make and the experiences that we have change how much we care about others, who we care about, and how connected we become. And that crucially means that the choices that we make and habits that we cultivate can change our empathy on purpose. That's interesting. So nowadays, I feel like I hear this conversation almost every day. Something about, like, what is the world coming to? Or, ah, the humanity. Those types of comments that are really negative. So does Professor Zaki believe that we've become less empathetic as a society? Well... Yeah, he says that studies show that Americans have become less empathic in the last three to four decades. And when he explains it, I mean, it's easy to see why. We've become more divided than ever politically and ideologically. Uh, We are more isolated than ever, more likely to live alone and in cities and, and also interact with each other in sort of thinned out and anonymous ways like online. Um, And we're more stressed than we ever have been before, especially younger people. And all of these forces could be diminishing our capacity or at least our willingness to step out and empathize with others. 
Ah, so he thinks our lifestyles are not allowing us to connect as much. We're lonelier, and that's why our empathy is decreasing. Yeah, so loneliness, division, I mean, general exhaustion, none of that is helping us in life, and it's especially not helping when it comes to empathy. But there are ways to increase empathy, so, you know, not all is lost. Um, In fact, just thinking that you can increase your empathy can actually help you work harder to become more empathic. So if we think of empathy as a skill or a muscle, you got to exercise it. And the way you do that is by talking to people who are different than you and really listening to their stories and by trying to imagine yourself in another person's life experience. I mean, finding that connection with others is so effective that you can even increase empathy by reading fiction and relating to characters in a novel. We can empathize not just with people who are in the same room as us. We can empathize with people who are thousands of miles away. We can empathize with future generations who don't exist yet. We can empathize with fictional characters who will never exist. And that is through the power that we have to extract ourselves from our own version of the world and enter other versions of the world. And one way that we can all exercise this empathy muscle day in and day out is just by looking at everyday scenarios through a different lens. One of my um, favorite examples is one of my friends says that when someone cuts them off in traffic, instead of sort of flipping them the bird or whatever, they say, wow, that person must be having a harder day than me, right? These little choices to try and see things from other people's perspective um, can be really powerful if they accumulate. Thanks so much to Professor Jamil Zaki for speaking to me about his book, The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World. It's out now. Next week on Kind World, an update on Rachel Cerati, who's been following her grandmother Hannah's footsteps for 10 years. It's a really different story than friends of mine whose grandparents were in concentration camps. Like, Hannah was never in a camp because people kept her safe, because people, you know, honored her life as a human. That's next week on Kind World. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design, and Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. And I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe. If you have a story of kindness to share with us, send us a message on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WBUR Kind World. And if you know someone who's interested in producing podcasts, let them know that we're still looking for a spring 2020 intern. Tell them to send us a resume and a little bit about why they want to work with us to ilab underscore internships at wbur.org. That's ilab underscore internships at wbur.org. You can find more information about our internship program on our website, wbur.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.